Well, this brings us into a season of families getting together. There's upsides to that and downsides to that, isn't there, when families get together? I talked to one lady this morning who says, I've got 19 people to feed Thanksgiving Day. I'd consider that almost part of the downside if they were asking me to feed them. But while we're thinking about family, we're going to be talking about family a lot these next two or three Sundays that we're in this particular series, A Journey of a Lifetime. And we're going to be talking this morning about what are families for. I think you'd have to agree with me that we live in a society where families are changing, changing rapidly. You've read and you've heard the statistics that there is about 75% of families in this nation that are not nuclear families as we knew them. They're not traditional families as we've known them in the past. And there are a lot of voices out there that are saying the family as we've known it in the past has outlived its usefulness. We really don't need it anymore. Well, let me tell you, the family's not finished, but it's feeble in some places. And I pray that as we listen to God's Word today, He will speak to us. I don't know if you've noticed that on television and Hollywood, it's rare that you ever see that they have portrayed a happy, traditional family. They just don't do that a lot. And so we're getting fed a lot of information different from what God's Word tells us. But I want us to look at God's Word, and we're going to begin at the beginning. We're going to be in Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis, the second chapter. I'm going to be reading a couple of verses from that particular passage And I just ask you that you stand right now, you follow along in your copy of God's Word, and I pray you listen to what he has to say. Genesis chapter 2, I'll read verse 18 first. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone, for I will make him a helper suitable or corresponding to him. And then in verse 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They shall become one flesh. I want you to notice two things from the passages that I just read. First of all, the family is God's ideal. Because it is God's ideal, it's going to always be. The second thing that I don't know if you saw But in that passage, God tells us it's not good for man to be alone. God had created everything in this perfect world that Adam Adam at this time could have needed. And yet when he looked around, he realized something was missing. And that which was missing was Adam was alone. He was alone. People are made for people. We have to have that in our life. Whether you're married or single, we need people in our lives. 
But God looked and saw that something was missing, a relationship. So what's a family for? I want you to know, 30 years ago, I'd have never preached a message like this because everybody knew what a family was for. They don't anymore. They don't anymore. Would you bow with me as I pray? Father, I ask this morning that as parents, first of all, you would help us. You would help us with control. You would help us with our emotions. And Father, I pray that as we deal with those in our family and as we deal with each other as relationships, that you would give us that wisdom. And Father, I pray for the children in our homes, for we as parents, that we may not be divided, but that we would not allow the sin of foolishness and bitterness to keep us apart from you as well as from each other. And Father, may we never put the activities of our home, of our private and personal life, before your desires for our life. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. I suppose that if I could describe the family today in a short sentence or two, that I would say that for many people, to sum it up, a family is simply bread and breakfast. I get up in the morning, I eat my Cheerios, and I take off. I'll eat lunch somewhere else, I'll have dinner somewhere else, I'll be gone a lot of the evening, and I'll come back to find my bed so that I can start the cycle all over again. We never get together as a family. I hear so many people say, well, what's a family for? I want to give you some reasons that God created the family. You write these down. First of all, A family is to be a shelter from the storm. A shelter from the storm. Every family has storms. We all need shelters. We have storms in life that are like rain, like floods, that deluge our life, it seems like, and everything that we're part of. Sometimes those incidents in our life Those problems in our life wasn't caused by us. They were brought on by somebody else. But we need a place where we can have protection and stability and security in the midst of all those things in our life. Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge, a place of refuge. If you have children, do they have a place of security and refuge in that home that you're in? God created the family to be a shelter in storms. Now, there's all kinds of storms, emotional, financial, physical, moral, that can happen to families. But I want to tell you three absolutely that will happen 
to every family. Three types of storms. First is the storm of change. We live in a nation with a lot of change going on. And a lot of things changing in our lives as families. We have illnesses. We have deaths. We have divorces. We have graduation. We change jobs. We move. No matter where the home, the structure that you live in is located, there ought to be a place, a group of people that I can count on as my family. I know they're concerned. So there's storms of change, a lot of change all around. But there's also storms of failure. Failure. We all go through failure. We're not always going to win in life. We lose sometimes. We get turned down for the job. We don't pass the test. We didn't get on the team. We even go bankrupt and lose it all. You can handle all of this if you have a family to come home, hugs to come home to, people who care about you, a refuge. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. Two are better than one because we, they have a good return on their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there's not another to lift him up. We need people in our life. There's storms of change. There's storms of failure. But there's also storms of rejection. And I think these are the hardest. These are the worst. Listen to what God's Word says about that. These are difficult when you talk about being rejected, ridiculed. Some of you right now can go back to a point of pain where you were rejected. It may have been a time when you did not have what other people had. It may have been a time when you saw the sin nature of kids come out as they ridiculed you for whatever it may be. It may be a time when a spouse walked out on you. It may be a time of rejection that the moment I mention this word, you just feel the pain. You cannot seem to go by it. You were rejected. You were embarrassed maybe because you didn't have the status that other people around you had, whatever it may be, it still hurts when you think about it. It's still there. Have you noticed that most games, especially board games, have as their object to get home? You know why? Home's a place of protection. It's supposed to be. It's a place of safety, or at least it's supposed to be. My mind goes back a lot of years when we were living in another state and I was pastoring another church. And my son, my oldest son, went to school that day. And at the end of the day, I went to pick him up and things didn't go well that day for him. He'd tried out for a team and he didn't make it. And I remember when he got in the car with me and I started the engine and started driving out of the school parking lot. I remember he just burst into tears. Now, my son didn't do that very much. But I want to tell you, he was around family. He was at a place where it was home, and he was free to cry. 
You've experienced that. Maybe some of you didn't have a place to go after the rejection. You didn't have somebody to tell you that you are cared for and that you're loved and that it'll be all right. Maybe you didn't even have that when you were growing up. Do you remember your first love that rejected you? It's a terrible feeling, isn't it? We need other people in our life. Ecclesiastes 4 verse... Chapter 4, verse 12 says, And if no one, and if one rather, can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. Two can resist all of that pain. Again, I don't have that kind of family. I wasn't raised in that kind of family. And I know you can say that even in this group today. But I want to tell you something, friend. You can begin to create that kind of family, especially if you're a parent. And I would encourage you, you begin to do that. God's Word has a lot to say about how we can do that. But let me just give you three things real quickly. You can just write these down. They all begin with an H. And this is how you have that kind of family. Hear, hug, and help. Pretty simple, isn't it? You need to hear them. Listen to their hurts. Hug. Daddies, put your arms around those sons and those daughters. Hug them, love them, embrace them, and your spouses. Help. Help them when they have need. Help them. A family is to be a shelter from the storms. And that's why divorce is so painful. It's because the place of acceptance has become the place of rejection. Oh, my goodness. Families to be a shelter from the storms. Let me give you a second thing that God created the family for. It's to be a learning center for life. A learning center for life. We usually think of teaching in the family as adults teaching the children. I want to tell you, if you're not learning from your children, friend, you're missing out on a whole, whole lot. They can teach you a whole lot of things. I have grandchildren now that teach me. I get to keep up with what's going on through the eyes of 20-year-olds and 14-year-olds and 13-year-olds. That's the way it's supposed to be. We're to be learning from them. We're not, we're missing a value, the value of a lot of things, a lot of information that we need. We need to learn skills in our families to pass on to our children. Do you know that all the learning skills in your life, the basic learning skills in your life, came from your family? Good, bad, or indifferent, that's where they came from. It's a learning center for life. You learn how to walk and talk and eat and know how to dress and take a bath every once in a while, right from your family. That's where we get those things. Psalms 144, verse 12, listen to this. Let our sons in their youth be as grown-up plans. That's just half of it. Let me explain that just a minute. As youth growing up to be plants. You know, plants are moldable. Plants are growing, and they can be changed in the rapid growth that they go through. In the Middle East, when you talked about a plant, you was talking about something that brought a lot of joy because you could get under it for shade. You could have food from it. So God's word is saying our sons are to be as grown up plants. And then listen to what he says about our daughters. And our daughters as corner pillars 
fashioned as for a palace. Boy, there's so much in that. If you've ever been to the Middle East and you know some of these palaces and some of these great standings, you will know what those corner pillars are like. Especially in Turkey, you see a lot of those. Let me tell you about the corner pillar. It bears a great weight that the rest of the pillars don't. But it's always on that corner pillar that you see all this ornate carving. Beauty is added there. Our daughters are to be strong and to grow in beauty and in the presence and in the teachings of God. A family compared to a plant. A family compared to a strong pillar. Strength and beauty. That's what he's telling us. Ephesians 6 verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Training and instructions. That's what a family is to have. That's what God intended. The bottom line is knowing how your child is growing and what they need. Somebody said the bottom line in teaching and raising children is the need to know which end you're to pat and when to pat it. Maybe some truth in that. We need to know that, don't we? We need to know that. Parents, when you're training up your child, there are three stages you want to move them through quickly, or two stages you want to move them through and get them in the third stage. Listen carefully. Whatever their age may be, you want to move them from parental control And then you want to move them as fast as you can through self-control. And you want to get them under God's control as fast as you possibly can. There's a world out there running away a race with you. You need to do that. Luke 2, verse 52. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and statue and in favor with God and man. That's the way we're to grow. That's the reason that passage was put in the Bible. Not just so we would know how Jesus grew. But so we would know how we're supposed to. He grew in four ways. He grew in wisdom and knowledge. We know that. When we see that, that's usually what we think about. Intellectual growth. But I want to tell you, there's so much more to that word wisdom that we don't use in this language that we ought to use. Let me tell you something. It means the ability to judge. It means the ability to have discretion. It means keen judgment and keen discernment. Are you growing that way? Are you raising your children that way? That's how Christ grew. Also, he grew in stature. That's his physical growth. And then he grew in favor with God. That's spiritual growth. And then the Bible says he grew in, in favor with men. That's social growth. That's how we're to grow. That ought to be the goal for every family, for every member in that family. And as parents, we ought to be guiding our children that way. Let me give you three things that's going to happen in your family by the time your child is gone out of that family, whether you want it to happen or not. That's the place they get it, in the family with you. The first one is relationships. Relationships. That's how we grow, in relationships. It's what a family is supposed to do. Goodness. We learn to relate to each other. Good, bad, wrong, effective, or ineffective. That's how we get it in our family. You get it in that home. 
I get it in that home from the people I'm around. You need to teach your children that relationships are worth saving, that they need to ask forgiveness quickly. We must model it before our children. If we don't, they're going to be just like us, and they're going to do this. We help them determine how to relate to others in their life. Boy, that's so vital. Because so many adults don't know how to relate. They didn't learn that. We learn character in our family. Good, bad, or indifferent, that's where you learn it, in your family. Much of what you are, in fact, not maybe most of what you are, came from your family. You picked that up from your parents and your siblings. That's what you did. Remember, like father, like son, I'm amazed at how I'm becoming more and more and more like my father all the time. He's been gone about six years almost. I noticed mannerisms. He didn't sit down and teach me these. I just noticed them. I noticed I'm becoming more and more like him every day. And let me tell you something, that's scary. No, let me tell you why. Because I know where my sons are headed. That's the scary part. I don't have to worry about them getting it. They're automatically getting it in the home where I am. And friend, I want to tell you something. They're not necessarily taught. They're caught. That's the way most of them are. Always remember that. And listen. Mother, daddy, you tell your children that they ought to always strive for honesty. And then when the phone rings, you turn around and say, don't tell them I'm here. Well, that don't compute. Laugh at it. But I'm telling you the truth, friend. That's the way we are. That's the way we are. Listen, they watch your actions a lot more than they listen to your words. Let me give you a third thing that's going to happen in your family, whether you want it to or not. The thing you're going to learn is values from your family. You're going to learn values. That's where you get your values. What are values? Those are the things that are the most important to you. Think of all the things you learn in your own. You learn how to treat other people. You learn about money. You learn about time. You learn about how to treat the opposite sex. You learn about God. All these things are supposed to be going on in your home and in my home. Things that are really important. And these values come out loud and clear in your life unintentionally or intentionally. That's what we're learning. The Bible says one generation makes known the faithfulness of the next. That's our job. Your family is like relay runners. My family's like relay runners. We're carrying godly values from this generation to the next generation. I pass the baton to my sons and they pass it to their children. It's being passed on. Our families are one vital link in this whole chain of humanity. That's serious, folks. That's really serious. I can't do anything about my ancestors, but I can do something about my descendants. I can make a difference. I have ancestors way back in the background as just like you that I'll never know this side of the earth, of this side on the earth, 
But I want to tell you, they're influencing me right now through generations. And I want you to know that you have got descendants coming on after you that you will never meet if God allows this world to stand that's picking up things from you. That's pretty important, folks. It makes a difference in the world we live in, in the life that we're going to live. Goodness. I can do something about that. So can you. You remember that song, Pass It On? What are you passing on? What am I passing on? You know, I've heard people say, well, I'm not going to impose this on my children. I'm not going to impose religion. I'm not going to impose denominations on my children. I'm going to let them choose for themselves. In the Greek, that's baloney. I just won't tell you. They're picking up from you and from everybody else. It doesn't matter whether you want them to. That's what they're doing. You need to understand that. That's a foolish statement. That's implying that God's optional. He's not. He's not optional. He's a necessity. Are you teaching your children that? Are they getting biblical values in the home with you, where you are? Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7 says, you're supposed to do it, daddies. I didn't make it up. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. I'm going to just condense all of that. All the time you're supposed to be talking to them about God. All the time. But you know why we don't do that? All of us, we don't do that like we should. We can't talk to them because we're spending, we're spending a thousand hours a year on screens. Thousand hours a year. By the time the average child reaches 18, they will have seen 18,000 hours of screens. At age 65, you will accumulate nine and a half years of screen time. If you attend Sunday school and you attend worship on Sunday morning and you attend worship on Sunday night and you're here on Wednesday night when we have services going on, if you attend all of those, I want you to know you will only have five months of Bible in 65 years. Now, you tell me who's doing the most teaching. Don't have to be a scientist to figure that out. Goodness, that's where they're coming from. I need to evaluate my values. What am I teaching my children about money and about character and about sex and about honesty and about God and about work? What do I really want them to walk out of this home with when they leave? Family is a storm shelter from storms. A family is a learning center for life. But let me give you a third thing. The family is a place to play. A place to play. A format for fun. A haven for happiness. That'll be a good time going on in your home because that's what children like. They like to be around fun. And there ought to be fun going on. You don't need to be like a drill sergeant. There ought to be some times of fun when you just let your hair down. Just some good old times. You remember the sound of music, how he would blow a whistle and all the kids would come in and have to report in. Sometimes we're like that. 
Ecclesiastes 9, 9 says, Live joyfully with the wife whom you love. And you better be loving the one you're married to. I'm going to add that to it. Proverbs 5, 18. And rejoice in the wife of your youth. Families that, play to, that play, pray together are important, but families that play together are important as well. We need to do that. You have some memories of your children. You can't get some of the hilarious events that come out of families. You can't write those or you can't make those up. Let me just read one to you very quickly. Chuck Swindoll tells this one, and maybe you've heard him tell it. But he talks about the memories that you have with your young children in the home and how wonderful they are. But he particularly tells about a time one evening when they were getting ready to eat supper, and his son, Curtis, was six years old, and they had a daughter, his sister, who was four years old. And so he writes that he went over to his son, Curtis, and he said, Curtis, it is polite for you to feed your sister first. Men are to do that. That's a polite thing to do. You hand the plate to her first. And Curtis couldn't understand that because the chicken was sitting right in front of him, and he was hungry as a lion. But nevertheless, he decided he was going to obey his daddy, who told him that girls ought to be served before men. So after the prayer had occurred, he picks up that platter of chicken, and he holds it, and he says to Carissa, his sister, he says, which piece do you want? Carissa's four years old. She don't know a lot about chicken, but she really, really relished this affection she was getting from her older brother. And being quite young, she didn't know what to say, so she said, I want a foot. Curtis looks around at his daddy, and he says, Carissa, there's no foot on the platter. She wants to know why. And Curtis says to her, Mother didn't put it on the platter. There's no chicken foot here. You're going to have to ask for something else. So she said, a little bit louder, or he said a little bit louder, hurry up and take one of these pieces of chicken. But she returned in an answer to him, and she said, I want a leg. A leg. No, not a leg. She said, I want, I'm going to mess up his story, and I don't mean to do that. But see, is, she said, I want, uh, I don't know now what she said about that. I'm going to move on. <laughs> she said, Curtis said, I can't give you an arm. That's what she said. I'll give you an, I want an arm. He said, we can't give you an arm. It's only a wing. She said, I don't like wings. Don't you give me a wing. I hate wings. So Curtis is beside himself now. He's totally hard, tired of holding that platter because it's so heaven, so heavy. And he says to her, you pick something right now, what you want. And she looks frustrated as he does. And she says, I'll take the belly button. <laughs> Boy, this was all that Curtis could take. And Curtis just reached in and he got the breast, which I guess is about as close as you can get to the belly button on a chicken. And he gave it to her. Well, they laughed about that and laughed about that for a long time. But humor like that, you don't get anywhere but in a family. That's what ought to be going on in a family. Just plain old crazy times in a family, doing everything they can. It takes the sharp edge off of the demands of a family. It loosens us up. We ought to do that. Is there humor going on in your home? There ought to be. There ought to be. Psalms 127, 3 through 5 says, Behold, children are the gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, 
So are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. You celebrate your family? Are you thankful for your family? Are you enjoying the family God gave you, the family that you find yourself in? Let me tell you about families. They're only for a season. And I'm realizing that more and more seasons are short, friend. You need to be spending time and enjoying time with your family right now. Let me give you the last thing that a family's for. A family is a launch pad for ministry. A launch pad for ministry. Maybe you've never thought of your family as a ministry family. But oh my goodness, you need to. You need to get a hold of that concept. It'll bless you more than anything you can imagine. It'll bring unity and joy to your family. You get a mission project and you get involved and you involve your family. You may not have children. You and your spouse can go and be a part of that. Whether you have children at home or not. 1 Corinthians 16, 15. You know that the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to ministry and the saints. This whole family was in ministry together. God designed the family to be in ministry together. We're to serve and to help others together. The ultimate basis of joy and harmony in a family is in Acts 16.34. And he, that's the Philippian jailer, rejoiced greatly having believed in God with his whole family, with the entire family. My goodness, families stick together and families get involved and families grow when God's the center of it, when his word is being read and taught and learned together. There's another generation coming up after us. They need to have this. I want to tell you, I have no greater joy in all the world than being in places where I get to see my children worship, which is not very often. When I see my sons and my grandsons singing praises, teaching a class, when I see my granddaughters all already saved, I rejoice over that. Friend, that was my goal. And if you have children or you have grandchildren that have not been saved, you need to go before God and, and beseech Him and beg Him for their salvation. Don't you give up. You continue to do that. That's what some families are to have. Let me tell you a good place to start a family ministry. It's in hospitality. Hospitalities. That's a lost ministry in most of our churches. I grew up in a time, as some of you who are my age or close to my age can remember, we had people in our home. When somebody came to preach a revival, when a missionary came during a week of missions, they stayed in our home. And I believe God will have to tell me different, that they had an impact on my life. I didn't even know about all that stuff, but I can remember sitting at the table, around the table with them, just listening as they talked. We didn't have much. We had to thin out what we could get so we could add another uh, food for their plate. They took my bed many times. I had to sleep on a couch. But I remember them coming hospitality. You can do that in your family. You can do that. Romans 12, 9 and 13, let love be without hypocrisy. And then 13 says, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. When God's children are in need, we ought to be the one to help them out, give them what they need. It's not common as it used to be.
we've just scratched the surface of what a family's for. But I close with this, some life application. Every family needs to be strengthened. That's every family in this church. We need a godly future. We need that. You may say, Kent, I'm single. What do I do? Let me tell you what you do. If you're single, don't you ignore the relatives you have in this church. You've got a whole big family here. Don't you overlook that. Don't you miss that at all. You're part of a bigger family, a larger family. Galatians 6.10 calls the church the family of God. That's what this is supposed to be. Shelter from the storm, a learning center for life, a place to play, and a place to launch ministry. That's your family. That's the church family as well. But now I know I'm talking to some people who would say to me, Kent, it's too late. I got saved after my children left home. I didn't do anything for them spiritually. In fact, I tried to keep everything spiritually from them. What can I do? I want to remind you of 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All things. What that passage is saying is, it's a new day. This new thing, you can go back and you can go back and you can go back and changes can be made. It may take a long time, but you can do that. You can do that. It's what families are for. It's exactly what families are for. I don't know about your family. And I don't know what all's going on in your life. But I want to tell you it can change right now. It can change in a moment. Parents, we cannot have that kind of home if we do not know Christ personally as our Lord and our Savior. And daddies, I appeal to you just by nurture of God's preparation, men are placed in homes and have a vital, vital impact on their families. And daddies, when you ignore God, there is a great chance all your children are going to do the very same thing. Don't you let that happen. You still have time to change that. Mothers, what an impact you have on your family. Maybe you have children that have never been saved yet. And you know that. Do you pray for them? Do you talk to them? Do you share God's word with them? Or do you know how? It's so vital. We've lost generations because we haven't done that. And I pray this morning by God's grace in your life and the wooing of His Holy Spirit that you'll be drawn and it will be so powerful you cannot say no like you have in the past. But you would say yes. God, I am a sinner. I admit it. I confess it. By your grace, I'm turning from that and I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. Would you be willing to say that even now? Would you make that public in a moment as we sing? Father, I just pray for our church. I pray for my family. I pray for families that are represented 
in this church.